world you have entered was created by the Walt Disney Company and is dedicated to Hollywood, not a place on a map, but a state of mind that exists wherever people dream and wonder and imagine, a place where illusion and reality are fused by technological magic. We welcome you to a Hollywood that never was and always will be. Michael Eisner, May 1st, 1989. So two terribly significant things, at least for me, happened in May of 1989. 30 days apart, Disney's MGM Studios theme park opened to the public, and Danielle Elise Hurd was born into the world, both fixated on the golden age of Hollywood, built upon high highs and low lows, sun drunk on a charade of fanciness baked into the hot Orlando asphalt. Today known as Disney's Hollywood Studios, it is unexpectedly my favorite place to be in the entire world my theme park twin, my darling of darlings. Hollywood Studios and I have something else in common, even more than our eventual need to rebrand, to recreate ourselves. We fucking love Star Wars. Star Wars. I mean, is there anything better? Is there any greater feeling in the entire corporeal world than that hitch breath of wonder, of promise between a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and... Star Wars. Funnily enough, I did not fall in love with Star Wars first in a cinema or even in a living room. I was not born to nerds. My mother had seen the original trilogy and enjoyed them well enough, while my athletic father could not pick Chewbacca out of a lineup. So I was not introduced to that vast world at first via VHS tape. No, instead my sporty little family, mom, dad, my little brother Matt, and myself, visited Disney World. And it was there, amid the Muppets and the ice cream cones and the great movie ride, that Matt and I had our minds thoroughly and completely blown apart. I mean, I met Captain Rex before I met Luke Skywalker, which again feels somewhat significant. Star Tours, originally opening in Disneyland in 1987 and then at Disney World in 1989, lit a spark in my brother and I. We didn't know where we were or who we were with, had never heard of Endor or met C-3PO before, but we felt that undeniable Star Wars promise for the very first time, and we were hungry for more. When we returned from that trip, Matt was gifted the original trilogy for his birthday, and I was more than happy to watch those tapes with him over and over and over again, transfixed by the film nerd seriousness of those old Leonard Maltin introductions. But also... Star Wars didn't feel like it was supposed to be for me. I was a little girl, and I liked Disney princesses and stuffed animals and picture books. I didn't seem to have an obvious place in this world of laser swords and action figures, right? I mean, I still watched Return of the Jedi over and over again and swooned over Luke Skywalker's bravery. With all due respect to a certain little mermaid, I wanted to be a part of that world. But besides my supposed gender identity, I mean, Star Wars was over, right? Star Wars belonged to nerdy cis men who had come of age in the 1970s, and I was lucky that I had gotten to experience it at all, whether in my family's living room or on Star Tours. What's it like to love a thing that you feel you can never really truly have? Hey there, 
Galactic Republic, friends and family in the Outer Rim. How's it going? Once again, my name is Danny, sometimes Daniel Hurd, and this is Star Wars Made Me Gay. Uh, real quick, I want to give all props to that title um, from my very favorite t-shirt in the entire world, which you can pick up on lookhuman.com. So if you need some good queer Star Wars merch, please check them out. And the idea of this podcast and what we're going to be doing over the next, over the course of this little adventure, we are delving into what does it mean to be a queer Star Wars fan? Because I think there's something to it. I think it is not an accident that the world of Star Wars has the power and the potential to speak to so many different groups of people, including groups of people who might not even be canonically really seen so far within that universe. Uh, the thing I can pick apart about it is that I identify as queer and I love Star Wars with a bleeding, beating heart. And I'm really interested to talk to other queer Star Wars fans and just figure out where do those wavelengths kind of sparkle for us, if that makes any sense. I want to figure out what it is about the Star Wars universe, about that story that keeps us coming back, even in, a, again, a galaxy where we are not necessarily seen very much. Um, and this first season, we are going to be focusing on the film canon. So with the exception of that one kiss in Rise of Skywalker, we kind of don't have a lot going on. Um, but we are going to be talking to lots of cool guests throughout this first season and really just digging into what Star Wars means to us and our queerness and the overarching question of what does it mean to be a queer Star Wars fan. All right, and for our very first episode, uh, focusing on Star Tours, the ride, we are going to be talking to my amazing, brilliant, wonderful, perfect friend and producer of this podcast on behalf of the Make Mom Proud Project. We are talking to Jacob McKee. Hey, Jacob. Hi, Danny. Jacob, for the viewing audience, could I get your pronouns, please? Yeah, my pronouns are he, him, um, very occasionally they, them, but mostly he, him. Heard. I also said viewing audience, and that's not what this is for our listening audience. I love uh, it. They can pretend they're watching a movie. <laughs> oh, I want that for them. And I will also say, since um, I am new to the listening audience as well, again, I am Danny slash Daniel. I'm figuring some stuff out. And my pronouns are they, them. So just so you know, at home friends. Jacob, how's your day going? You know, it's going pretty good. You know, I had um, another week, another COVID test today, as you know, which made me um, a little late to this podcast recording. And I don't know, I'm just really excited to be here doing this thing that we are able to do in a time like that, right? In a time where we have to go like every so often to get tested to see if we have contracted a global pandemic that we're able to sit and talk about Star Wars over the internet and still make something happen and be cool, you know? Yeah, so I vibe with that a lot in the sense of, I feel like it's so, for me, it's been such a, a lonely, isolating time, and I want to go back to stories like Star Wars all the time, and this idea that, like, you prevail because of friendship, and so it makes me feel even more determined to be like, even if I can only have it via Zoom or via virtual spaces, I want to be as connected to my friends as possible, and I feel like that's a big thing Star Wars gives me. Absolutely. I feel like most 
most of my closest friendships, not all, but most of my closest friendships have some foundation in um, a galaxy far, far away. So especially this one, I feel like we sort of like grew especially closer because of our mutual love for Star Wars. So. Oh, agreed. We were there together. We won Star Wars trivia at Thinking Man Tavern once or twice. You know, I can't remember if it was once or twice, but I'm going to say twice just for bragging. <laughs> I know that we, we, we won those Star Wars shot glasses, right? Yes. And did we win something else? Uh, what was the other prize? I think we won a Han Solo Nerf blaster. We did because it which was... used to live at my desk at my old job, and we would occasionally just like shoot each other from across the balcony. Yeah, so we must have won twice because I definitely remember both of those prizes. <laughs> that was iconic. <laughs> Million dollar question: Do you remember how you first got introduced to Star Wars? You know, okay, so I I don't have a very vivid memory of it, but I was pre-reading some of your material in my producer duties and saw the mention of the Leonard Maltin intros to the Star Wars VHSs. And I have such a vivid memory of watching those that I feel like it must have been the VHSs. And that made me remember, I remember one of them had Darth Vader on it, one of them had Yoda on it, and then what did the other one have on it? Oh, I'm trying to remember 3PO maybe or R2. I'm going to look up a picture. It must have been C-3PO, I think, because I think Darth Vader was on uh, what was by then called A New Hope. Um, I think Yoda was on Empire Strikes Back, maybe. And I think C-3PO was on, um, or maybe it was C-3PO on A New Hope. I don't remember. Oh, you know what it is? I found a picture. Hang on. So Darth Vader is on A New Hope. It's just a generic stormtrooper on Empire Strikes Back. And then Yoda is on Return of the Jedi. Okay, okay. What I remember about that Leonard Maltin introduction, like, especially as a little kid, it felt like, because I mean, I didn't know who Leonard Maltin was. It was like he was a teacher or a professor. And so it made it made those Star Wars VHS tapes feel like they had so much gravity to them. Oh, yeah. I thought he was so cool. Oh, absolutely. I remember, I, I remember, I guess I watched those. But I was, let's see, Phantom Menace came out in what year was that 1999 yeah Mm -hmm. okay so I guess I was six years old when that came out so I I have a feeling and I don't remember this exactly but I have a feeling that basically my parents wanted to take me to see Phantom Menace so I needed to have seen the other ones before that so they introduced me to it then but I was very young I was I was I mean fucking six years old when Phantom Menace came out so that is wild to me because I think of myself as having been young but I was 10 like nine going on 10 when Phantom Menace came out. And I don't know why that feels so much older to me than six. But my biggest window into Star Wars was through the video games, actually. I think that I... Oh, okay. I think that I very much like became as invested as I am through the various, the many video games that I played from the ages of like eight to 13 and beyond because the video games hold up so well, even as an adult. But um, I was really, really into some Star Wars video games for a while there. And that was really my first like real door into becoming like a real fan, you know? If you could sort of recommend maybe, because I'll be honest, I am trash at all video games. I'm so, I'm just not good at controls. I never know how to move and I get really frustrated. I never really mess around with video games. If you were to recommend to my novice video game self, like a good starter place for the Star Wars video game world, where would you recommend we pick up? Uh, The best starter is easily the pod racing game that came out for um, the PlayStation. Um, I actually, 
Yeah, I actually have a, a remaster of it for the PlayStation 4, so God willing, when the pandemic is over, please come over and pod race me. Um, oh, Jacob, that sounds so nice. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's And it's probably, I would I would probably say it's the most fun Star Wars video game, too, because I, when I'm in the right mood, I can sink hours into that game, pod racing over and over and over again. And it's just like a basic racing game, except that instead of cars, you have pods and you can be Anakin Skywalker or oh my god Sebulba uh Aldarbido that's not the right name I'm forgetting all of their names right um Ben Quadraneros etc all of those people um, I mean let's be I want to be up front at the beginning of this podcast so people know what they're getting into <laughs> I my favorite thing in the world is Star Wars names because they are all nonsense so please all never nonsense. apologize for forgetting a Star Wars name they're so <laughs> like nerdy tangent something that's been getting me through pandemic times is trying to recreate food I have had at theme parks um, because theme parks are like my nerd jam and like Disney and Universal have been releasing like little copycat recipes via social media but I also have the Galaxy's Edge cookbook and so I tried to recreate like what is essentially Star Wars chicken but it's fried and dory and yip tip and it's my favorite thing to say I must eat that. <laughs> Jacob, for, it's great. When I come over to pod race you, I will make you fried and dorian yip tip. I'm <laughs> It's just chicken and mashed potatoes, but it's real tasty. I love that. I love that. My other recommendation video game wise that I just feel like I have to get in is the Knights of the Old Republic series. They are not as easy to just sort of dive into, but they are, they're just brilliant. I have heard that. I'm very intrigued. Again, I just, I want to be there, but I'm so bad at moving in video games. I don't know why. Like my brain just does not connect, but I'm going to do it because I want to be all in. I feel like a future season of this will just need to be like the video game universe and you'll all have to deal with me. I'm thrilled. (laughs) Not knowing what I'm doing. So Jacob, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of hop over now to what I have posited, what we have posited together. Like, let me be clear, you as a co-producer are the second half of the the nerdy heart and soul of this whole project. And we have had many text conversations and many production meetings figuring out what this is. And we're still going to figure it out. I feel like we're not like 100% set in stone and that's okay. Yeah. But if I may go ahead and introduce to you sort of the central thesis question we have, like what to you does it mean to be a queer Star Wars fan? That's so interesting, right? Because I feel like, like you said in the intro, that there's not really a, there's not really a a, a lot of representation there for it, right? But it's something that I feel like really sits really well with me because I feel like there's this sort of overarching theme in Star Wars that is sort of like, anybody can be anything, right? Mm, um, yes. And uh, like I had a whole Facebook post about it today while I was sitting in line waiting for my COVID test where I was just talking about how my favorite theme in Star Wars is this idea that like heroes can come from anywhere. I mean, they can be Rey who was abandoned on Jakku by her parents really had no reason to choose to be a good person um, because the world had been really unkind to her or the galaxy I guess not just the world the galaxy had been really unkind to her and she still chose to fight the good fight and do the right thing and I feel like that's a message that really um, speaks to me as a queer person right because like uh, uh, I mean especially so I identify as bisexual and that is notoriously like erased from discussions of of queerness and sexuality and things like that and I feel like I feel very seen by all of these sort of like 
the icons that they become, right? Just like from like a an abandoned baby Princess Leia to like general hero of the galaxy. Like, I don't know. That's sort of where I where I land on it is that I just sort of feel a lot of kinship with these people who were sort of like raised to be one thing and had to break out and become something completely different or chose to break out and become something completely different, you know? That's beautiful. Um, I want to, I'm curious, you like, because you're right, this this iconography of these Star Wars heroes now, and I do think there's such a, for me, in, in my experience, for queer reasons and for mental health reasons, I know how important it's always been for me to have fictional characters that I can see parts of myself in, because for me, the sort of the tracking is, well, I love this thing about this fictional character, and therefore I have to love this thing about myself. Yeah, Um, that's very... It's really helped me with self-acceptance. And so I'm wondering, do you have like, I think I know the answer, but do you have a particular Star Wars character who's like your, like your heart, your heart's character that maybe you identify with who really has has taught you something about yourself? C-3PO. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what I, about C three PO? Was that what you were expecting? <laughs> it was not. I thought you were going to say Leia, but oh, I dig C three PO. Princess Leia is definitely a uh, second on the list because I do um, just to like sort of tangent on that. Uh, she's Leia is probably my favorite character in Star Wars, um, and I just really, really, really love her ferociousness in the face of of all this adversity. Like I think that she's the strongest character that Star Wars has given us. I think that she is just like really steadfast and wonderful in all, and really, really determined and annoying and, and <laughs> in a positive way. I mean that in a positive way, and and I just like uh, I just like love how how like upfront and like badass she is all the time, right? But also, I am, I'm an awkward boy, right? Like, I exist in a world where my shoulders are constantly up by my ears. I can't dance to save my life because I'm long and lanky and have no control over what my, like, long arms do. And and C-3PO has always just sort of felt like like my person, you know? I mean, he's not a person, he's a droid, but he's sort of felt like this, this like, manifestation of me within this huge galaxy. I was like, if what I get to be is this like really neat gold protocol droid who is involved in every adventure and is really, really um, useful a lot of the time in all of these adventures and gets to pal around with another one of the coolest characters ever created, R2-D2, and just sort of like, and, and I mean, like, he's so awkward and he's so uptight and he's so neurotic. And that's stuff that I really, really identify with because I'm very neurotic and and often uptight. And, and um, so I just love him. I just love him. And one day when I am able to create costumes, which will never be, but I will make a C-3PO costume and wear it around for Halloween one day because he's just my boy. I love him. I want that for you so bad. I think cosplay has such a powerful ability, I guess, is the, is the right word. It almost feels like too small of a word, but I really want that for you because I do think the chance to like literally see ourselves as the characters for whom we have that sense of self-reflection, I think can be really meaningful and really affirming. Like I know for me again, like not Star Wars, but like super nerd tangent, like I kind of found my queerness through the ability to cosplay and to see myself in a way I had never dared to see myself before. So I want that for you. And I also think it's really interesting speaking to this duality because I, I I almost want to challenge all of us. I think there's the Star Wars character we want to be. And then there's the Star Wars character that we know we are, right? I Yeah, I definitely want to be 
Princess Leia, and definitely no, I am C-3PO. <laughs> That's beautiful. I do think, like, uh, let me say, though, as someone who loves you, I think your badassness and your tenaciousness, which I would use in place of annoyance, Yes, um, that's a I think you word. have some very Leia attributes. So Thank don't you, you worry, sweet little droid friend. Beep beep. <laughs> Happy beeps, Betty. Happy okay. beeps. So going back to the intro a little bit, have you ever ridden Star Tours, either the original or the new iteration of Star Tours, which is called The Adventure Continues? So this is this is a a, a, a thing with me, right? Is that I haven't been to Disney World or any of its uh, subsidiary parks since I was like four years old. It's been a while. And I don't think that I rode Star Tours back then because I used to be deathly afraid of like rides of all kinds. I mean, I definitely haven't written it recently because so going to Galaxy's Edge has been sort of on my like list of like things I must do by the end of insert year here since it opened, right? And obviously like COVID-19 has gotten in the way of a lot of that, but it's now on my list of things to do before the end of 2021. Um, So hopefully I, it, is it in Galaxy's Edge now or is it still in Hollywood Studios? It is still in Hollywood Studios. Well, so here's the thing. Galaxy's Edge is part of Hollywood Studios. Gotcha. I believe technically the section of the park is still referred to as Echo Lake is where you will find Star Tours The Adventure continues it's sort of in between where the indiana jones spectacular is and in between muppet studios and then there's can i tell you can i tangent for a minute about yeah, the first time i went to galaxy's edge yeah go ahead because it's i feel like it's such a classic feral nerd energy um i got lucky and got to go to galaxy's edge so i almost went so the galaxy's edge in disneyland in a moment of of serendipity actually opened I talked earlier in the intro about the significance to me of like when things happen in May because they're near my birthday. The first Galaxy's Edge opened the day of my 30th birthday. And wow, that is I, Right? And I was trying so hard to get someone in my life to convince me like, no, Danny, you have to fly to California and be at the opening day of this park. And instead, everyone told me, that's a terrible idea. Please don't do that. And I wanted to so bad. So I didn't get to go. I went February of last year. And so like I mentioned, my family, like my little brother and I, super Star Wars fans, it's all we do. It's, it's our love language. And my parents, like my mom is very supportive, but my dad has no idea what the big deal is. <laughs> and the whole thing with Rise of Resistance, the, the attraction... Oh, and it's like, it's Disney World, I love you, but the Rise of Resistance queue system is a nightmare, I think for everyone, but specifically for people with high anxiety, <laughs> because you have to be there at a certain time on this app, like when the park is open to get into the virtual queue and you're pressing buttons and everyone around you is freaking out. So we got there based on advice from, I mean, we had been in Animal Kingdom the day before and I was just asking anyone who would indulge me, I suppose, um, asking any cast member like, hey, be real with me. What time do I need to be at Hollywood Studios? Like, don't give me the answer you think I want to hear give me the real answer and they were kind of like yeah I like be there like two hours before the park opens oh my god and I want to and this was the day after running the princess half marathon so nice. everyone is exhausted and we roll up so we're there early we get led into Hollywood Studios we're all crowding around so again like Muppet Studios is to the left and then there's sort of this big archway and you know that Galaxy's Edge is on the other side like there's a long tunnel you go through and we're all just crowded outside of the archway and my heart is beating so fast because also I was the only person with the My Disney Experience app so it was totally my responsibility to get us onto this ride which I don't recommend everybody in your group be trying to get a boarding party. You were the party. only hoe. I was the only hoe it was so tragic 
And the moment hit, I hit the button. It wasn't quite working for me. I wanted to die. And I just like, I calmly like reopened my app again. My heart is beating so fast. As soon as the app was like, congratulations, you have such and such number boarding pass. And then we all start walking in like through the tunnel together, just sobbing. Yeah, I had such an emotional reaction. I I don't want to spoil too much for you, even though I feel like we could do a whole season just about Galaxy's Edge because it's my favorite place in the world. But it's funny because we we got to do Rise of Resistance and the very next day we were at Universal Studios. And um, again, my dad, who was kind of an impartial judge, we rode one of the Harry Potter attractions and he goes, see, I think this is a better ride to which I said, I don't necessarily disagree, but I am aware it is a ride the entire time. There is a moment in Rise of Resistance that sincerely got me. And I was like, Star Wars is real. My suspicions have been confirmed. Oh my God. Like just jaw hanging open. If I can give any piece of advice on this podcast ever, besides be yourself and love yourself, obviously you're wonderful. But my specific advice is if you have never ridden Rise of the Resistance and you have not spoiled yourself yet by watching a ride along video, don't do it. Like go in cold. It will blow your mind. So I see this is how inexperienced I am with theme parks because like I just like was so afraid of roller coasters for so long that I didn't even pay any attention to them is that I didn't even know there were ride along videos I could spoil myself with. (gasps) Oh, so Jake, who is behind the scenes right now, not to be confused with Jacob, our dear friend Jake West, um, who is sort of our sound engineer today, we texted earlier this week about I think mutually watching universal ride along videos for the Jurassic park river adventure. So it is totally a thing you like theme park. YouTube is a beautiful place to be. And I cannot recommend it more highly. Okay. I will, I will have to go into that because I love myself some universal studios, not to get too off topic, but I love islands of adventure. Oh my God. Again, Hollywood Studios is still ultimately my favorite Orlando park because I just got lucky, right, that all my favorite stuff happens to be there because they put Star Wars there after they also had Tower of Terror and the Muppets. So I was just like, all my stuff is in this one convenient little chunk of Florida. I never need to go anywhere else. So speaking of Disney, if you could convince, like if you could bust into a Disney boardroom right now and you had all the power to convince Disney executives to make one Star Wars pairing canonically queer who do you pick and why one star wars pairing oh interesting Mm -hmm. if you don't have a specific pairing in mind if you just want one character to be like no i want the story doesn't necessarily have to be about that but i want disney to say although i don't even know that i like that framing so much because that feels a little jk rowling to me and we hate her um we do hate her we do hate her that's Um, the official the official position of this podcast yes jk rowling is a horrible monster and we do not support her although again going back to theme parks for a minute she will take pumpkin juice from my cold gay hands so if you could have disney basically be like yeah this is our queer star wars character living their joyful life kissing their significant other and going on space adventures who do you go with I read this question last night when I was going over your materials, and my first gut instinct was to say that I wanted, really, until Rise of Skywalker changed this. Um, For those of you who don't know, out in the universe, you're listening to a podcast of two Last Jedi apologists right now. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We're both huge fans of The Last Jedi, and um, we don't love Rise of Skywalker, but we'll talk about that later. Um, (laughs) That's the (laughs) nicest way of putting it. We We don't love it. We don't love it. I'm trying to be nicer about things this year, you know? 
but I, uh, until Rise of Skywalker, really viewed Rey as sort of an asexual, aromantic being. Because, I mean, it's just so clear to me in, in um, at least in The Force Awakens, that, like, Finn is, like, going for it, you know? He's, like, going hard after it. And it seems to me that, like, Rey doesn't even think about it. Like, there's not even, she doesn't even spare a thought for, like, what he's going after. And that, to me, just, like, ace representation is so hard to find in general because she's just so focused on, like, the world and the mission and anything else but Finn trying to get with her, you know? And mm. and so that was my first instinct. Somebody last night that I was chatting with told me they thought Obi-Wan was gay. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love that too. I love that too. But if I had to like make a, I don't know. I I truly don't know if I had to like make a pairing into a queer pairing. Like I'm not, I'm really not sure that's difficult. Cause I, I honestly am not even a, a really a Poe and Finn shipper. I'm okay. a really, I'm a really big Finn Rose shipper. Oh, um, I support you. Yeah. But I do feel like Finn so I'm a, I'm a Finn Rose shipper, which is a, a het ship, but I do feel like Finn is a bisexual character, at least in my, like, head canon of it. So I guess that's it, because that would make it still a queer relationship. So I guess I I would want Finn and Rose to be a um, bisexual relationship for Finn. Okay, I dig that. We went on a journey there. We can talk more about Obi-Wan if you want, because I think that was my best pull. Oh, well, I just, so an, another thing Jacob and I have in common, so actually, fun origin story, Jacob and I met doing Shakespeare Nerd Summer Camp. Truly. And that's our prequel trilogy. And it's funny that you bring up Obi-Wan because I I always get such kind of a, like, especially later Obi-Wan, there's sort of a, like, Romeo and Juliet, Friar Lawrence-y vibe. And I have a Romeo and Juliet headcanon that Friar Lawrence is queer and that's part of why he's like so deeply invested in this younger generation because like it's too late for himself and he's become a, a a person of the church because he doesn't feel like he can express whatever his or their romantic desires might be i want to play non-binary friar lawrence so bad not related to this podcast but uh, shakespeare companies please cast me and so that was just immediately the vibe I got. and i know I know that Obi-Wan does have a, a Clone Wars canonical love interest, but I totally buy. Because again, I feel like Obi-Wan is this character who feels such a sense of this really beautiful and kind of sad responsibility to the next generation. And it reminds me of, you know, and it's interesting for me. So so part of my queer origin story, again, is I'm 31 and I didn't come out until I was 30. But I will say that I already just being in my 30s and to be fair I, I feel like I never know what I'm talking about but just already feeling this very fierce protectiveness and wanting to make the world better for any upcoming queer generation which just feel like in my heart I don't have like an eloquent answer but that feels very Obi-Wan to me and it makes me really happy. Yeah and I mean it's sort of like this idea of that you want the generation after you to sort of have it better than you did right? Yeah. I mean, I feel that way too. I mean, like I'm 27 now, about to turn 28, and I didn't come out till I was 24. And I feel like I must be really loudly bisexual because I didn't have any, like I didn't even really know what bisexuality was for a while. Like I didn't have any like icons to like look to and see like, ah, uh, there's a, another boy like me who is bisexual, who likes boys, who likes girls. And I feel like Obi-Wan definitely has that journey, right? Especially when he's like, um, I just watched Revenge of the Sith the other day, actually. And Ewan McGregor does such a beautiful job in that scene where he goes to Anakin and Padme's like apartment or whatever they live in and talks to 
Padme about what Anakin has done and the killing of the younglings and things like that. And it it just like broke my heart because it was clear that his heart was breaking from this like failure to bring Anakin up in the way that I don't know, like Qui-Gon would have wanted or the way that he felt like he should have, right? And and that just makes it so clear to me that like like you said, Obi-Wan's goal is like really, really trying to provide for this like next generation, this next level, this next like contingency of force users and Jedi, right? Like, I don't know. It just really spoke to me. And it's something that I identify with, like specifically in my queer identity as a bisexual boy. I don't know. Yeah, I that's man, now I'm I'm trying to think if there's a character that has ever spoken to me specifically as a trans person within the Star Wars universe. Hmm. Because again, I kind of have those like sort of cosplay euphoria goals of like, ooh, when I'm further into my transition, like maybe I'll be like a super cool looking Luke Luke Skywalker and that'll be so fun. Because for me, honestly, I think my Star Wars dichotomy of like the character I want to be versus the character I feel like I am, honestly, and I do think it's interesting that they're both male identifying characters for me because I want to be Luke Skywalker, but honestly, I kind of feel like I'm Kylo Ren. Oh my goodness. Unpack that. <laughs> so, and I feel the Kylo Ren thing more as the person who deals with um, depression and bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. This sort of inherent, and and let me be clear, <laughs> Kylo Ren is an awful monster and... <laughs> is not a good person. And I don't like that I identify with him. I think Adam Driver kills that performance. And I love, uh, it's it's confusing. Cause like, I love Ben Solo, but also I wish Ben Solo had had to answer for his crimes. Anyway, there's a moment. So in Last Jedi, which we love, um, when Snoke calls him just a child in a mask. And then we see him destroy the mask. To me, it feels like it's like Kylo Ren's inspiration, like his mood board of like vibes and who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to represent and the the space you want to occupy in the world and to have his mentor tell him how ridiculous that is and to watch him like go off like that moment always like takes my breath away of someone who really relates to the notion of like I put a lot of energy into objects and to symbols because I want them to define me so that I don't have to, so that I don't have to stand on my own as a vulnerable, bare-faced person looking into the sky and just trusting that the world will accept me as I am. I want a mask. For me, it's not a physical mask, but if it is a costume or what I'm wearing or again, just a some sort of physical manifestation of what I'm trying to present in the world, the idea that someone who I look up to would tell me that that's ridiculous. Oh, like that cuts me. And again, I think there's what I, what I have been learning on this like baby trans journey of mine. There's probably some significance there that I haven't figured out yet. You know what I mean? Like once I, once I started figuring out more parts of my identity, I can look back and see the like signs from like things in my childhood and my adolescence that didn't I, I didn't clock when I was there um that now again at 31 I can be like oh okay that might be what that was and so I wonder if I get a little bit deeper into this exploration if I will have like a queer Kylo Ren epiphany more than I already have yeah and I mean just as a side note about Kylo Ren I think that's what's so I feel like he shows us his true self at the end of that movie, right? At the end of Last Jedi. And 
in a in a way like he's obviously very evil and that's obviously like that's not necessarily a, a thing that I can get behind morally, you know, but I do think that there's some sort of like really interesting truth to him and Ray ending that movie, really having the opportunity to sort of start living as truthfully as they can. Don't worry, listening audience, there will be more thoughts on Kylo Ren in this podcast as time goes by because truly, it's all I think about every day, all day. <laughs> So in our wrap-up, Jake McKee, thank you so much for being our very first guest. I'm so glad we're doing a podcast, but also I could just talk about Star Wars with you all day, every day. So thank you. This has been so lovely. Absolutely. I am uh, truly having a great time, and this was a, a great way to trick you into talking about Star Wars on a microphone with me. <laughs> Yay. So where are you on social media? What do you have coming up? Where can we follow and support and love on you? You can find me just for my own personal exploits at Yakum McKee, um, which is at Y A K O B M C K E E on Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, that is that's me. So, folks, I blog pretty regularly about fandom and feelings at hope is the thing with lightsabers.com. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Danny writes about monsters, which I do. Uh, and you can also uh, find me on Patreon, just uh, Danny Heard, D-A-N-I-H-E-R-D, Heard rhymes with nerd. Yeah, that's, and this is like my big exciting project right now. So follow us in all the places so you can uh, know what's coming next for Star Wars Made Me Gay, the podcast. From the Make Mom Proud Project, this is Star Wars Made Me Gay. I'm your host, Daniel Hurd. This podcast is produced by Daniel Hurd and Jacob McKee in conjunction with Jake West and Ding Dang Studios. Edited by Jacob McKee. Associate produced by Austin Jeter. Original music by Brady Dunn. Cover art by Joshua Hudson. Special thanks to Maddie and Peter Lopinto. Star Wars is the exclusive property of Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company. Ding, ding, ding.